You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Let's pray, and we'll jump right in. Father, we love you tonight. We're just so grateful for your goodness and your faithfulness and your mercy for us, Lord. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for all that Jesus has bought and paid for. Thank you for the price that he paid on the cross. Thank you for his shed blood, the broken body, Lord, that was broken for us so that we could be healed, and we thank you for that. Lord, we're so grateful for the Word tonight, the life-changing power of your Word. And Father, I thank you that your Word is still true. It's still alive. And Father, as we feed on it tonight, we thank you, Lord, that we're going to be changed. We're going to be built up. Our faith is going to go higher. And Lord, I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he reveals the truth to us. Jesus said he is our teacher. And so we look to him tonight for revelation and for insight. And thank you, Lord, for your anointing to bring forth the word. And we give you praise for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Well, let's start out on our little foundation scriptures. Let's look at John 21, 25 again. Somebody says, well, why do you keep making us turn to that? Well, I want you to get it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we keep looking at that. Plus, it's a good launching point. So John 21, 25, the King James, New King James says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The Amplified Bible says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, and if they should be all recorded one by one in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain or have room for the books that would be written. You know, again, I, I, I know I've said this quite often throughout this particular study, but, you know, I'm thankful that the Holy Ghost chose to put together for us what we have in the four Gospels. And the good news is it is more than enough. We don't need everything that Jesus did. Now, you know, I, I'm thankful for it and, and everything he did and he taught. But thank God we have exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted us to have and here's the good news. It is more than enough uh, to cause life change to come into us, to cause uh, us to be able to accurately see the ministry of Jesus. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Let's go over to look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Another scripture that we've added uh, to be part of our foundation scriptures. Peter preaching in Cornelius' household. He said this, and I'm going to read from a couple different translations. The New King James says this, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so the Amplified of that same verse says in the latter part of it, How he went about doing good and in particular curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil, for God was with him. Uh, You know, I love the fact that this particular translation talks about healing being a harassment of the devil. And that's exactly what it is. Sickness and disease is harassment from the devil. And don't ever, you know, entertain the idea that sickness and disease comes from heaven, that, that it is the will of God, it is pure Uh, you know, harassment, as it says in this verse in the Message Bible, it says he went through the country helping people and healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil. And I like that. You know, Jesus is all about picking up beaten down people. And and I like that. You know, I love the fact that it says that he went about helping people and he was able to do all this because God was with him. Then the Williams translation says this, that he went about doing good and curing all who were overpowered by the devil because God was with him. And you know, Jesus is all about not only healing the sick, but he's all about setting people free that are 
being harassed or beaten down by the devil and those that are overpowered by the devil. You know, it was never God's plan for us to be overpowered by the devil. It is God's plan for, you know, even before Adam's sin, that uh, we were to be in charge. Man was to rule and to reign in the earth. And you know what? God's will plan, God's plan has never changed in that, in that regard. And so through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the ability to overpower him instead of him overpowering us. And so I love that. And so healing is a good thing. Healing is, is a, a God thing. It is with the will of God. So we also have been talking about from Matthew 4.23 and Matthew 9.35 how Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every manner of sickness and disease among the people. So that's a general synopsis of Jesus' ministry that he went about teaching, preaching, and healing. And so as we've said every week, we want to emphasize what Jesus emphasized. By the way, the scripture says that Jesus actually said that these works shall you do also and greater shall you do. So here's the good news is that when we take time to teach the word of God, we are doing the works of Jesus. Now here's the good news in that is that when we're doing the works of Jesus, you can receive what people received under Jesus' ministry. And so that is yours, and I want you to get that. And, and again, a couple of reasons we've been teaching on this is so that, number one, you'll have faith to receive healing for yourself, and number two, you'll be skilled at being able to minister healing to other people. You know, God wants us skilled in his word. He doesn't want us guessing. He doesn't want us finding and doing stuff by accident. He wants us to do stuff on purpose and to know what we're doing as believers. And so I'm thrilled about that. And I, I didn't say this at the beginning, but this is lesson number 16 in this series. And uh, we're going to be talking about the widow's son found in Luke chapter 7. So if you want to go over to Luke chapter 7, we're going to begin there, Luke chapter 7, and begin in the 11th verse. And this is a very interesting story. It, it is a healing, but it doesn't necessarily talk about this particular young man being healed, uh, but we know that he was. So let's read the, the portion of Scripture in its entirety, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, and it says this, Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the, of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Verse 15, So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Now, one thing to note is that in the four Gospels that we have, there were only three people that were raised from the dead under Jesus' ministry. Now, I believe there were probably more, as we read in John 21, 25. But we know that this young man was one. We know Lazarus was another. Anybody remember who the third one was? Jairus' daughter. That's exactly right. Way to go, Gail. Jairus' daughter was raised up. Remember, she, she died while Jesus was en route to, to Jairus' house. And so, uh, you know, this was a part of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to talk more about this. Now, I want to establish a point, and I want you to write this down, okay? And that is this. Jesus never did anything separate from the Word of God. 
Let me say that again. Jesus never did anything separate from the Word of God. Now, you've heard me say Jesus did not do accidental. Jesus did not do random. Okay? Everything he did had a purpose behind it. He had a mission behind it. Um, you know, let me explain to you how that kind of worked for him, for him in his ministry. And we have several instances in the Gospels where it was written that Jesus very often would go off and pray all night long. Uh, he would he spent a great deal of time with the Father in prayer. So what I believe happened, and uh, this is my opinion, you know, based on what we see from the Word, but I believe Jesus during those times of prayer would receive from the Father what he was supposed to carry out uh, in the next day or the days to come. And the thing that you that you need to understand is is in Jesus' ministry, the reason I said he never did anything apart from the word is you always see him speaking the word of God. He quoted uh, the Old Testament all the time. And then secondly, the things that he acted on in his ministry were based on the word of God. Now, in this situation that uh, we see where he raised this young man from the dead, there are two cases of almost the identical thing happening in the Old Testament. The first one is found in 1 Kings chapter 17, and uh, this is where the son of the widow of Zarephath was raised from the dead by Elijah. You might remember that story. Um, and so Elijah raised her son from the dead. And then another story is found in 2 Kings chapter 4, where the Shunammite woman, her son, was raised from the dead by Elisha. So we see Elijah ministering that way and raising a, a widow's son from the dead. We also see Elisha ministering this way and raising a, a widow woman's son from the dead. So Jesus had these models from the Old Testament that he acted upon. And so what you need to understand is this, and this is why I'm saying he never did anything apart from the Word, is the Word gives you authority to be able to carry things out. Okay, It establishes principles and spiritual principles for us. And we see this in Jesus' ministry. All right, so let's begin. Let's go back to verse 11, and let's break this down. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. Now, this is the first time that we have recorded in the Gospels that Jesus went to this particular city called Nain. If you were to look at a map of Israel at the time, Nain was found in the upper northern regions of Israel. If you've uh, ever heard of Mount Tabor, it was 21 miles south of uh, Mount Tabor, and, and, and it was 21 miles from Capernaum, where Jesus' ministry was headquartered. And so we knew that Jesus was on a mission when he went here, uh, because, and we'll see that in just a second. So notice that it says that he, he was going into the city. It's very important to realize that. Look at verse 12. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. Now, again, remember, let's pay attention to some of the details. So Jesus is not in the city. He's approaching the city. He's outside of the city, and he's approaching the gate of the city. So as he's approaching the gate of the city, here comes this funeral procession out of the city, and in it, of course, was uh, this young man who had died and his mother, who was a widow. And then uh, apparently she had some kind of stature in the, the town because it says there were a great many people that were with her. A large crowd from the city was with her. Now I want to point a couple of things out. And, and, and let me just take a little side journey for just a second. Widows, there are two groups of people that we see 
that are very near to the heart of God, apart from children, okay? One of them are orphans, and another group are widows. And uh, we see in the scriptures, if you want to put your, your marker there in Luke 7, we'll come back there. But go back with me to the 146th Psalm, Psalm 146. And uh, let's look at a scripture there, 146 and verse 9, Psalm 146 and verse 9. Okay, and it says in Psalm 146, verse 9, the Lord watches over the strangers or foreigners. He relieves the fatherless, orphans, and the widow. But the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. Now, he relieves. That, that word in the Hebrew actually means supports. So this the scripture says the Lord watches over the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. Now, there's another scripture that, that by implication says that he will be a husband to the husbandless, meaning the widow, okay? And so God uh, has a very dear place in his heart for the widow. Psalm 68, 5, if you want to turn over there, the 68th Psalm and verse 5, Now, this is important because it plays into what we're going to look at tonight in this particular story. But it says here that God is a father of the fatherless, a defender of the widows. One, one translation says he's an advocate to the widows. Is God in his holy habitation? So again, we see that God is on the side of the widow. So God personally takes care of, of course, you have to stand in faith, stand in faith for this and believe for it, but God personally takes on the the life of, of a widow, takes on her to take care of and to sustain her, okay? So this is very important to the heart of God. Now, here's why I said that. It is no coincidence that Jesus ends up in the town of Nain as this particular widow is coming out of the city to bury her dead son, okay? So go back over to Luke chapter 7, and um, let's pick up with our story there. So again, as I told you, Jesus never did random. He never did accidentally. So, you know, he didn't just decide one day, you know what, look, guys, let's go for a walk. And so he takes a walk, goes up 21 miles to the town of Nain, and it just so happens that there's this funeral procession coming out of the city as Jesus is going in. No, I believe the Holy Spirit revealed to Jesus that this was going to be happening and that the Holy Spirit, the Father, wanted Jesus to be there at that moment when that lady came out. Now, surely there were other widows in Nain at this time. But why do you think the Lord, and of course led by the Holy Spirit, uh, was at the right place at the right time to minister to this particular widow. Why do you think that happened? Did God design it that way? Well, he designed it that way, absolutely. But I guess what I'm looking for is why did he design it that way? Why did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus to go to this place at this particular time? Okay, it's a little bit of supposition, but what we do know about God, what does God respond to? Faith. Faith, okay. So what we can assume or suppose from this particular situation is that this particular widow must have been praying either for her son to be healed or for God to move in that situation, okay? God responds to prayer prayed by faith. Now, again, God is no respecter of persons. You know, he doesn't discriminate. So 
there must have been something that this widow was doing in order to get the Lord's attention. I'm talking about the Father God. And so therefore, um, the, the, the Holy Spirit led Jesus to minister to this widow at this particular time. So, so you know, you, I, I can't prove it, but you can't prove it's not true, okay? That this woman had been praying for a miracle for her son. Now, um, well, we'll talk more about that in just a second, all right? So let me tell you a little bit about what's going on. In this particular time in Israel, the dead were not allowed to be buried in town, in the city. They had to be carried outside of the city, all right? So that's why if you ever look at a, a, a picture of modern-day Jerusalem, particularly pictures that you might see where you look across and there's the Temple Mount and the Dome of the Rock on top, uh, you'll see around the old ancient wall that still stands around the city, there are graveyards just on the outside of that wall. And that's because the, the Jewish people were not allowed to bury the dead within the city. They had to be buried outside of the city. And the only exception to this would be if you were a member of royalty. Because we do know that David's tomb is within the city and so forth. But if you were a normal uh, Jewish citizen, you could not be buried in the city. So therefore, that is why this funeral procession was coming out of the city of Nain while Jesus and his team were heading towards the city. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who do we know that was buried outside of the city? Jesus. That's right. Jesus was not only crucified outside of the city, he was buried outside of the city. Okay? So, and I know there's some discrepancy there. You know, if you go as a tourist to Jerusalem uh, these days, you know, there's some that say he was buried under the church of the Holy Sepulchre. And then, of course, there, many of you have probably seen the pictures of the garden tomb. Well, the garden tomb is actually outside of the city. And that more corresponds with where Jesus would have been buried according to uh, the custom of the day. So this is why uh, they, were, they met coming in and going out at the same time. Now, the age of the young man is not given. Uh, in verse 14, Jesus called him a young man. So what we know is that this young boy, uh, we don't know exactly how old he was. He might have been you know, late teens, early 20s, whatever. But here's the point. He died prematurely, okay? He did not live out his life. And I will say this. Um, it is not the plan of God for a parent to have to bury their child, okay? It is, it's the other way around. That's the way God wants it. But in this particular situation, we know that this young man died prematurely. Now, here's what this meant for this widow. If Let's say her, her son was in his 20s. He was a young man. Um, because he died and because she was a widow, what this meant was it would have caused an increased hardship on her as a widow. It would have required, if she had any family members like sisters or whatever, uh, that they would have been forced to take care of her from this point forward. Now, if she didn't have any living family members, then according to Jewish custom, the people in the community then had to take care of the widow. And so this was a hardship. It was an embarrassment for her. It was just, uh, you know, something that, that people didn't like to have to go through because it meant spreading the hardship onto other people. And so this was something that, um, you know, was, was just, just not a good situation. All right. So look at verse 13. It says, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Now notice who Jesus saw. It says that Jesus saw her. Mm -hmm. Notice he didn't. We don't have note where he saw the dead son. 
she is the one that got his attention. Okay, now our first inclination might be, well, you know, who is this that's, you know, being buried today? Who is this funeral for? So forth and so on. That wasn't Jesus' concern. His first attention went to her. And the Bible says he had compassion on her. Now let's talk about for a moment this thing called compassion. Because we see this all throughout Jesus' ministry where he had compassion on people. Now what is compassion? Compassion is not sympathy. Compassion is not feeling sorry for someone. Compassion is something that comes up out of your spirit. It is not an emotion. All right? A lot of times we have empathy for people or we have sympathy for people. But the difference about with compassion versus sympathy is that Bible compassion always moves you to action. In other words, if you see a situation and you're not moved to action, then you're sympathizing with those people. But if you have something on the inside of you that drives you to act, to motivate you to want to act, to help, to do something for these people, to change their circumstances, then you are being moved with compassion. Now, the scripture very often would say Jesus, being full of compassion, ministered to someone. So what we know about the Lord is that he was full of compassion, full of mercy, full of love, and full of goodness. Okay, let me say that again. Jesus was and is full of compassion, full of mercy, full of love, and full of goodness. And you know, one thing I have loved about this particular study in going through all these cases is it's really helped me to appreciate Jesus a whole lot more in the sense of uh, you really, in a lot of these situations, get to see his heart. And by the way, his heart is no different in heaven now than it was while he was ministering in the earth. The Bible says in Hebrews 13 that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus uh, was full of compassion in the, the, the four Gospels, he's still full of compassion today. If Jesus was full of mercy back then, he's still full of mercy. If he was full of love, he's still full of love. If he was good then, he's still good now. And so, again, he has not changed at all. Now, I want to say this. Notice he was full of all these things and that moved him to action. I want to say this to us, and that is this. Whatever you're full of, will move you to some kind of action. You know, some people get full of anger and it causes them to act on that anger. Some people get full of whatever and it causes them to act based on what they're full of. So you and I will act based on what we're full of. Jesus was full of all of these things and therefore he acted on those things, okay? Now I want you to notice something. Jesus did not respond in this same way to the religious leaders of the day. Matter of fact, we see him, uh, you know, getting very uh, strong, if you will, with them and some of his responses to them. Now, the you know, the scripture is clear. He still loved them, but the fact that they were withholding the truth from the people really got, got in him, and so that bothered him. And so you see him responding in a different way to them. But to the general public, to the people he was sent to minister to, he always responded out of compassion and was moved to action based on what he was full of. Now, compassion is not an emotional flow. It is a spiritual thing. Okay? So you need to understand that. Sympathy flows out of your emotions compassion flows out of your spirit. Now, here's something else you need to understand, and that is this. Every time we saw where Jesus was moved with compassion in his ministry, a healing or some type of miracle took place. Every time we see Jesus where it says that he was moved with compassion or he was full of compassion, 
a healing or a miracle always followed that. Okay, so there was something that that compassion did on the inside of him to cause him to want to act and to, as we read from Acts 10, 38, to help people and to, to cause their lives to be better. And you know what? Here's what, what I want us to get. Somebody might say, well, how do I become more compassionate? Well, the only way you're going to become more compassionate is by, by becoming closer to the heart of God. How do you get closer to the heart of God? Spend time with Him. The more you spend time with Him, the more you're going to pick up His characteristics. The more you spend time with God, the more you're going to act like Him. Okay, so if you want, you know, and it's a good desire, if you want to become more compassionate with people, spend more time with the Father, and He will begin to move in your heart to, to cause you to become more compassionate towards people. You know, I, I've, I've noticed in my life as a Christian over the years and walking with the Lord, uh, I'm far more compassionate with people now than I used to be years and years ago, okay? And, and it's just it's part of becoming more like the Father. You know, Paul wrote and he said, you know, imitate, the, imitate God like children imitate their Father. So God wants us to be like Him, and the only way that you're going to pick that up is by spending time with Him. Now, I want to say something about this particular story. And uh, let me kind of tell you how this, this originated. And I was, I was ministering to someone recently who um, is standing in faith for healing in their body. And um, in their particular situation, they, in their past, had had a loved one who passed away. And um, this particular individual uh, felt guilty or felt responsible because of that person, that family member, passing away. And what I had to tell them was, you know, you are not responsible for them passing away. And I'm talking about this was... Uh, you know, a, a relative not in their immediate family in their household, but this was somebody else, and they were not responsible for that person passing away. What we need to understand is that we have to have faith for ourselves, okay? Now, if, if you are a parent and you have small children, then yes, you can use your faith for small children and people that come under the realm of your authority, but, you know, other grown people... Um, you can minister the word to them, you can love them, you can pray with them, you can encourage them, but you cannot have faith for them. They have to learn how to believe God for themselves, okay? So in saying that, I told that person this, and it, and it freed them, it lifted a burden off of them because for years they had been carrying around this responsibility of guilt that somehow they had messed up or their faith was inadequate or they didn't pray enough or do something like that and therefore this loved one went home to be with the Lord. They passed away. And so um, in, in, in talking to them, I noticed, and it was one of those situations to where uh, I heard myself say this to them and, and as I was saying it, I was like, okay, I can tell this is from the Holy Ghost because it was revelation to me as I was saying it to them. And that is this, nowhere in Jesus' ministry do you find where Jesus just rolled up on someone and healed them or did a miracle for them where faith was not present. Okay? Now, let me say that again. Jesus never moved in someone's life, never ministered to them, never healed them, never performed a miracle for them, where faith was not present. Now, there might have been varying degrees of faith, but faith to some degree was present. Now, here's why that I know that that is true, and that is this. If he did that, where he just rolled up on someone and did a miracle for them, and faith was not present, then he was partial to them, and you and I could accuse God of doing something for someone, this individual over here, that he didn't do for this individual over here. 
And you know God doesn't operate that way. God doesn't function that way. The reason that God has uh, this whole thing built on faith and believing him is to make the playing field fair for everybody. Okay? In other words, nobody will ever be able to point their finger in God's faith face and say, you healed this one, but you didn't heal me because you desired to heal them more than you desired to heal me, or you love them more than you love me, or something like that. God put faith in the earth and in that spiritual principle in order to make it even and fair for everybody. All right? Are you tracking with me? Okay? So the reason I'm saying that is if you read this story and you just gloss over it, here's what it appears to be, that Jesus is minding his own business, walking to the town of Nain. Here comes a funeral procession towards him. And he has compassion on this widow mother and goes over and raises the son from the dead. No faith present, nothing said, okay? And we know that Jesus doesn't operate that way because even with other people, you know, there were Gentile people that Jesus came in contact with and he would either say something to them or he would give the word to them so that they would have a basis to believe him from. You know, I was reminded, <coughs> excuse me, of the little Canaanite woman. You remember her when her daughter uh, was uh, demon-possessed and she came to him? And she's a Gentile. And Jesus told her this. He said, he said, it is not right to take the bread from the children's table and cast it to dogs. You remember him saying that to her? He wasn't being mean to her. He wasn't trying to be rude to her. No, no. What he said was actually correct, all right, because healing belonged to the children of Israel. She was not in that covenant relationship, but he still loved her anyway, still wanted to move in the, the life of her daughter and minister to her, so he had to bring that Canaanite woman to a place of faith and had to do something to jar her thinking and get her to a place where she could believe him. Because if she could crack the door of faith open this much, Jesus could step through it and heal her daughter. So you remember what her response was? She said, yeah, Lord, that's true. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the children's table or the master's table. And you remember, I, I, I can just see it. It doesn't say it, but I can just see a smile come on Jesus' faith and said, yes, that's right. Go home for your daughter is healed. See, what Jesus was trying to do was bring this woman to a place of faith so that she could believe him. He couldn't just heal her because she came to him. And we need to get this. God doesn't move in people's lives just because they pray to him. He moves in people's lives because they pray in faith to him. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So I said all that to say this. When I first approached this story of healing or, or this young man being raised from the dead, you know, if you gloss over it, it almost doesn't look fair. And I, I went to the Lord in prayer and I said, Lord, I know that's not how you operate. Show me in this particular story what happened, what opened the door for you to be able to move in this woman's life and to raise her son from the dead, okay? So, so notice this. Let me, let me make a couple of comments, and then I'll tell you why, okay? Notice Jesus told the mother. What, what did he say to her when he rode up, walked up on the, the procession? The Bible says he, he, he noticed her, he saw her, and then he said something to her. What did he say? Not. Do not weep. Do not weep. One translation says this, you can stop crying now. Well, it, it, it doesn't say anything that the woman responded, okay? But because, of, because it doesn't say anything, that tells us everything, okay? Because I want you to get this now. 
Remember, Jesus is not in a place of familiar ministry. In other words, he's in a place that's away from where he normally ministered to people down around the Sea of Galilee. He's up in the northern part of Israel, okay? So apparently there was something that this mother either knew about Jesus or saw in Jesus that allowed her to uh, open the door, if you will, for him to move on her behalf in the fact that she said nothing. In other words, think about this. If he was a complete stranger, she knew nothing about him, and he walks up to her and says, hey, you don't need to cry anymore. I mean, the natural human response would have been, well, why not? Can't you see my son is dead? I have a reason to be crying. Okay? But notice she didn't say anything. So what that means is she either recognized something in Jesus and because, listen, and this is what the Lord told me. Her response was this. She did not object and she did not resist. And in doing that, there was an element of faith there. Okay, do you see that? All right. So, because you need to understand something. Not everyone loved Jesus. You know, the religious leaders hated him. Even his own family, at one point, thought he was crazy. Okay? So, you know, listen, it would have, you know, not been unreasonable for this woman to say, I don't know who you are. Who, who are you rolling up on this funeral and telling me I don't need to cry anymore? But no, the, the scripture says, or it implies that she did not say anything. And in doing that, she did not object and she did not resist. You know, I think sometimes if we will just not resist the Lord, it'll help us in our faith. You know how we resist the Lord? We come up with all kinds of excuses, reasons why it won't work, okay? All that type of thing. Sometimes, and you've heard me mention this probably, sometimes you need to have the vocabulary of silence. In other words, keep your mouth shut. If you can't say something in agreement, at least don't shut the Lord down by keeping your, I mean, Keep your mouth shut. And that's what this woman did. So let's go on. In verse 14, it says, Then he, Jesus, came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried the boy or the young man stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Now, a couple of things that I, again, details that jump out at me. Notice that Jesus simply touches the coffin that, the, that they're carrying, and the people that are carrying the coffin stop. Notice Jesus didn't yell out at the top of his lungs. He didn't make a big show. He didn't say, do y'all know who I am? You know, I'm the one that raised Lazarus. Y'all heard of Lazarus? I raised him from the dead. No, Jesus had no display, no performance, nothing. And here's why. Compassion will never draw attention to you. Compassion is focused on the one with the need. And Jesus was a perfect example, a perfect model of this. In other words, Jesus was non-dramatic in this situation. Now, I want, I want to want you to look at verse 14 again, okay? And this is this is where it gets exciting. Um, look at it again. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Who's he talking to? A young man. How can you talk to a, a, this young man? He's dead. No, he's alive. Huh? Okay. No. Uh, the, the point that I want you to see is Jesus walks up and starts talking to a dead man. Mm 
All right. Can the young man hear him? No. Yes, he can. Okay. All right. Now, in the natural, this does not make sense. Okay. But in Jesus' heart, this young man is not beyond reach. In other words, in Jesus' heart, no situation is too far gone that he won't talk to it. Amen. Okay? You need to get that. All right? And you've heard me say this before. Jesus is results-oriented. So in Jesus' heart, in his own faith, this young man was as good as alive. Okay? All right? So Jesus always works from the result back. <laughs> okay? What do I mean by that? In other words, in Jesus' heart, he saw this young man alive and returned back to his mother. And what he does is he starts at that point and works his way backwards. Let me give you another example. You remember in uh, the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead? You remember how uh how long did it take Jesus to get to, to where Lazarus was? Three days. Okay, three days. All right. Okay. So, but you remember he told his disciples on the first day, what did he tell them? He said, he's not dead. He's just asleep. Okay. Was Jesus crazy? No, he wasn't crazy. Okay. You have to understand, in Jesus' heart by faith, Lazarus was alive. But he had to work his way to that from backwards. Okay, <laughs> I'm not trying to, uh, you know, be funny and, and riddles. But what I'm wanting you to see is, God knows the end from the beginning. Mm -hmm. He works from the end result back. In other words, he starts at the end result, and then does what's necessary for that to happen. Let, let me give you another example. When was the first time that God spoke and said Jesus was coming into the earth? Do you remember? Genesis what? Uh, was it in, right after Adam sinned? Right. Yeah. In the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, was the first words that were spoken where God declared Remember, he told, he told uh, the serpent and he told Eve, he said, there's one coming that's going to bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel. All right? Let me, let me help you with this. In God's heart, Jesus was already dead, buried, crucified, and raised from the dead. 4,000 years before Jesus ever showed up. Okay, and then what does God do over the next 4,000 years? It's prophecy after word after prophecy after word declaring he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be of the, the, the lineage of David. He, he begins describing all these things. What does he do? He starts at the end result, backs up from there, and then starts working to cause that end result to come to pass. Okay, are you with me? Okay, yeah. this is the same thing, the same principle that 2,000 years ago, Jesus took your sickness and your disease and by his stripes, you were healed. The First Peter 2.24 says, so what does God do? He starts at past tense, you were healed, and then he works in your life to bring you to that end result. Hmm. Okay, this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus always works from the results that he desires backwards. He never works from, man, I wonder what's going to happen this time. I wonder if God's going to hear me when I pray this time. Or if I speak to this young man, is he really going to get up this time? No, he, those thoughts never cross his mind because he knows what the end result is before he ever speaks the first words. Okay? Uh, I, hope, I hope you're with me. All right? So he speaks to the young man, and he says, Young man, I say to you, arise. 
See, faith will talk to something that is dead. Faith will speak to something where it looks like there's no life left in that situation. Now, I want you to notice something. Seven words. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Young man, I say to you, arise. Seven words changed this young man's destiny. Now, does it say anywhere in there where Jesus laid hands on him? No. Okay. No. Does it say anywhere in there where Jesus prayed over him? No, no, no sir. Nope. He spoke the word. He spoke the word. Mm -hmm. And all it took was seven words. All right, here's my point in saying that. Sometimes, y'all, it's not going to take a big, long, drawn-out prayer. It's not going to take a big, flowery prayer. Sometimes, all it's going to take is seven words or fewer for your faith to go to work, for your faith in God's Word to begin to work. Jesus didn't lay hands on the man. Jesus didn't yell and scream. He's not loud. He gives no indication that he's desperate. Okay? None of those things. He just simply speaks seven words, gives the command of faith, and he expected dead things to hear him and dead things to obey him. And let me tell you, let me let you in on a little secret. When you speak the word of God by faith, you can expect a situation that might seem like it's too far gone to hear you or hear the word, and you can expect it to obey the word of God. Somebody might say, well, pastor, I tried that. Nothing happened. Okay, don't try it. Do it. Right. See, the problem is we try. Quit trying. Do it. All right? Amen. Look at verse 15. Almost done. It says this, So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he, Jesus, presented him to his mother. Now, notice this. I love this. Notice the young man didn't have to go th through physical rehab once he was raised up. Amen. You think about that? Okay. There was no recovery necessary. Immediately, the young man sat up and... Uh, you know, I can imagine the people that are carrying the coffin, they see him stand up. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to put it down, okay? So they put it down, and what does Jesus do? I can just imagine, takes him by the hand and presents him to his mother, all right? So I want you to see that there was no need for recovery after this man was raised up. Now, let me take a little quick side journey, and I want to say this to you. Somebody says, well, you know what I'm going to do, Pastor? I'm, since Jesus did this, I'm going to go down and I'm going to start raising people from the dead. Can I help you? No, you're not. Okay? Let me tell you why. All right? For you to be able to raise somebody from the dead, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have the nine gifts of the Spirit. For you to raise somebody from the dead, three of the nine gifts of the Spirit have to be in operation. Now, what, what else does 1 Corinthians 12 tell us is that the gifts of the Spirit only work as the Spirit wills, not as you will. I wish it was the other way around. I wish, you know, that they function whenever we wanted them to. But no, they function when the Holy Ghost wants, wants them to. All right? What are the three gifts that, that have to be in operation? Number one, gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. Why do gifts of healings have to be in operation? Because if you raise somebody from the dead and sickness killed them, if they don't get healed, they're going to die again. Okay? So gifts of healings. Number two, the working of miracles. The working of miracles. Why? Because it's a miracle for someone to be raised from the dead. That is not in the ordinary course of nature. Okay? So gifts of healings has to be an operation, working of miracles, and uh, I hate to pop your bubble, but the gift of special faith or the gift of faith has to be an operation. In other words, you don't have faith 
in or in your normal natural believing God faith that we all have you don't have that kind of faith to raise somebody from the dead you need the special faith that comes from the Holy Ghost all right so these gifts operate as the Holy Spirit wills now listen if the Holy Spirit ever tells you to do that to go and raise somebody from the dead then those gifts will be a manifestation and he will perform what he's told you to do all right so I didn't I, I, I you know I just wanted to make that comment um, you know so nobody would leave this Bible study tonight and go down to the funeral home and make a fool of yourself okay I didn't want that to happen all right <laughs> so don't do that all right Luke chapter 7 verse 16 notice what happened it says then fear came upon all and they glorified God saying a great prophet has risen up among us and God has visited his people verse 17 and this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region so again as we have seen in several of the other cases of healing notice what happened as a result of this miracle and that is this this miracle caused the people to glorify God okay I, I can't emphasize this enough, y'all, and, and we're going to see this more and more, so just be, be aware of this, okay? Whenever you see someone ministering and all the attention is going to them, they're not ministering by the Holy Spirit. I'll just say that point blank, okay? Because any time that the Holy Spirit is moving and somebody is anointed by God, God or the Lord Jesus will get the glory and not the person. The attention will go to Jesus and not the person. All right? Just wanted to mention that to you. Now, I love the fact that it says that the people noted and said, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. I love that phrase. Okay? Now, how did, just a little, real quick, how did God visit the people? How did he do it? Through Jesus. Okay, be more specific. What, Gail? Okay. All right, well, the way God visited his people is by a man being anointed by the Holy Ghost represents a visitation from God. Now, and it could be a man or woman, but in this case, it was Jesus, obviously. So here's what, what a lot of people um, take for granted, okay? Is that someone that is in your life that's anointed by the Holy Spirit, albeit your pastor or whoever, when you sit under that ministry, you're sitting in a visitation from God. Okay, now that's not to elevate the person. That's not to say that the person is perfect, anything like that. The Holy Spirit is perfect. Okay, but what I want you to see is, you know, we, 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 um, you know, we want a visitation from God, but we want it to be in a burning bush. We want it to be in an angelic angel showing up and and saying something to us or whatever. No, every time you go to church and sit under an anointed man or woman of God, you're sitting in a visitation from God. And I don't want us to ever take that so lightly that we disregard that, okay? I don't want us to ever just minimize that, and we just don't, that's why it's so important, number one, for us to be in church, and then number two, where we go to church and who we sit under, okay? So, um, and here's what, what the word visited means there in the Greek. It means this. It, it's like um, in the Greek, it paints the picture of, let's say you found out you had a neighbor who was gravely ill. And you went over to your neighbor's house who was sick and wanted to find out what could you do to make them better. In other words, could you cook a meal for them? Could you pray for them? 
How could you tend to them and make them better? And that's what that word visitation means. It literally means this. God showed up to tend to the sick that were present. Okay? So that's the heart of God. And so somebody says, well, you know, in this particular case, there's not a healing. Well, yeah, there is. Because <laughs> use your noggin for just a second. Jesus called this man a young man. We've already said that he died prematurely. How do you think he died prematurely? Apparently by some sickness or disease, all right? Yeah. Or, per, or injury, physical injury, or something like that. Was he still sick or injured when he got up out of the coffin? No. no. Okay, no. no. So he was healed, all right? So this is a clear case of Jesus not only raising someone from the dead, but healing them at the same time. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.